Good afternoon, Farina. Um, today, um, we are talking to uh, Farina So, uh, who is the Principal Deputy Director of the Documentation Center Cambodia, um, uh, the best known uh, genocide documentation and research um, center in Cambodia. And but on Cambodian genocide, um, you know, I would say it's the best known and most um, uh, relied upon um, research center on the Cambodian genocide um, in the world. And, uh, you know, DC Chem provides uh, um, extremely valuable, uh, you know, uh, documentation and research um, reports to the Cambodian Genocide Tribunal or Cambodian Tribunal uh, in Phnom Penh. And she joins me from Phnom Penh um, about four o'clock in Phnom Penh on June the 8th. And I'm speaking from UK in the morning. Uh, Farina is a member of a Cham Muslim um, protected group or minority in Cambodia. Um, the, a lot of people have heard about um, Cambodian genocide. Uh, the Cambodian genocide has been officially declared a genocide by the uh, Khmer Rouge Tribunal, officially known as ECCC, or the Extraordinary Chambers of the uh, Court of Cambodia, I believe. And, uh, uh, but that's after 40 years, um, you know, uh, since the um, Pol Pot regime collapsed. But what is, um, you know, less known is the, um, the fact that there are uh, Muslim minorities in Cambodia uh, known as Cham people, uh, you know, what they suffer, especially uh, Cham Muslim women, what they suffer uh, at the hands of the Pol Pot regime is vastly dif uh, different um, from other, uh, you know, the mainstream uh, the victims of uh, Khmer Rouge, particularly uh, Khmer Buddhist people. And so, um, uh, Farina uh, will be, um, you know, uh, explaining her work with the uh, uh, documentation center, her monograph on the Cham Muslim um, the culture and people, um, as well as her contributions to the ECCC. And she is um, working on her PhD at the University of Massachusetts at Lowell campus in the United States. Uh, welcome, Farina. Um, can you um, explain to us who the Cham people are, and uh, you know the 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 kind of um, life and experiences that um, the Cham people have had uh, throughout the Cambodian history. Thank you, Zani, and thanks for uh, having me on your program. So, um, the Cham people, uh, mainly in Cambodia, uh, Vietnam, Malaysia, and Thailand, are the descendants of uh, Cham of the Kingdom of Champa, which is now in central and southern Vietnam. And uh, for Cham in Cambodia, they, they left the kingdom um, after the Vietnamese expansion and settled in Cambodia in around 15th century. They, uh, the majority of Cham uh, practice Islam. And they have Cham name, Cham and Muslim name, um, and dress like Cham or Muslim because they, 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 they use uh, Muslim attire um, and uh, they live collectively in the community near their own mosque um, and uh, they also uh, you know like share or, or, or observe religious uh, uh, events 
and they lived, uh, they coexisted peacefully uh, with the Khmer Buddhist or with the Buddhist community. Um, but then, um, when the Khmer Rouge came in uh, uh, April 1975, we call us uh, uh, 17 April 1975, um, Jam were evacuated or forced to leave their home and community um, and to live in the countryside in order to perform agricultural work. And um, many of them, you know, like were not able to live collectively anymore because uh, they were transferred to different places uh, where they were mingled with uh, Nam Cham or with Khmer and also other minority group like Vietnamese or Chinese. Um, in, in the country at that time. And uh, they were forced to eat pork. Um, they were forced to carry a heavy work and uh, they, they were not able to speak jam because uh, there was a ban on jam speaking. And if uh, they were found or heard uh, speaking jam, then uh, they would be punished. And for women, so they were um, forced to uh, remove their headscarf and to cut their hair short. Um, and usually, uh, traditionally, women, you know, like they had long hair and uh, prefer to, to keep their hair long, but then they were forced to cut their hair short. Yeah, um, let, me, let me just interrupt, I think, because this is important, right? Um, uh, the Cambodian Buddhists, uh, you know, they, they were not asked to violate um, their, you know, cultural rituals or identities, uh, but the um, Cham people, both Muslim, um, you know, men and women, they were singled out uh, by Khmer Rouge uh, regime. Uh, you know, they were forced to eat pork, uh, which is against uh, um, the Islamic uh, tradition, and uh, they were forced to. Uh, uh, what you call it, unveil themselves or like a remove headscarf or like cut their traditional uh, long hair, right? Um, so so <clears throat> can you tell us about why these, you know, violations uh, culturally specific to the um, uh, Chan people, uh, you know, contribute to the ECCC's ruling, Khmer Rouge Tribunals, ruling that uh, the Pol Pot regime committed genocide against Cham people. Correct me if I'm wrong, and that was one of the uh, rulings, right? Uh, specifically Cham Muslim minorities were, uh, you know, declared a protected group under genocide convention. And uh, they were also uh, the, the declared specific victims of the policies of Khmer Rouge that amounted to a genocide. Yeah. Can you, you know, you, um, as a scholar, can you, uh, you know, uh, not simply historically, but on the legal issues, can you explain why the ECCC or the Khmer Rouge Tribunal uh, called, um, you know, uh, the Khmer Rouge, uh, um, you know, atrocity towards your people, a genocide? So the Khmer Rouge regime, uh, applied the policy to everyone at the very beginning when they came and ruled the country in 1975. And uh, the Jam community, uh, which is a minority group, um, is 
was one of uh, one of the uh, group um, um, suffered from the policy. But little by little, the Khmer Rouge like targeted the community and uh, a single out and kill of the Jam uh, leaders and um, forced Jam people to reveal their identity before they were killed. And this uh, fits into the definition of genocide, uh, which said that um, the intent to kill in whole or in part um, national, um, ethnic, um, uh, religious, and um, and um, racial uh, um, groups of people, then it, it can be called genocide. And for uh, other kind of persecution, also includes the transfer of young children um, uh, from their community or, or from their home and then mingle them with other uh, groups um, and then treat them as uh, non jam uh, or non-Muslim. So um, there are many specific persecution or treatment against jam, uh, which uh, fit well under the definition. And jam is one of the other groups called the Vietnamese. The Vietnamese, uh, the Khmer Rouge genocide, the, the tribunal also charged uh, and convicted the Khmer Rouge leader of genocide against Cham and also the Vietnamese group because the Vietnamese group also suffered uh, similarly, especially they were targeted because of their ethnic ground. Uh, they were killed because they were considered as Vietnamese or non-Khmer. And so it is important that to know that many people already uh, understood that the Khmer Rouge crime considered as genocide even in 1980. But then their, their, their understanding was that the Khmer Rouge committed genocide again all, not just Jam or Vietnamese. That's why it's important that uh, the existence of the Khmer Rouge tribunal came, uh, you know, like explain uh, what genocide is and then uh, what are the, uh, you know, like why you know like uh, they only convicted the Khmer Rouge again of genocide against Cham and the Vietnamese because it had a, a very clear definition of legally uh, and also provided many supporting documents and, and uh, witnesses and, and also evidence in, in other words uh, that can uh, reveal and then uh, explain uh, the term genocide and then genocide treatment. Your, your own work um, directly concerns the uh, genocidal practices and this process that uh, the uh, Cham people uh, suffer under Khmer Rouge, right? Can you, can you tell us more about your oral history project and the research? Um, I believe that you have um, contributed directly to the uh, uh, Cambodian uh, Genocide Tribunal with respect to the Cham Muslim minorities? <clears throat> so, in order to preserve memory, which is one of the center's objectives, um, um, we have to record the stories of uh, survivors. So there are many untold stories, there are many undocumented uh, stories or accounts uh, that need to be recorded, need to be preserved. That's why we 
launched the oral history project, um, collecting the oral history with from the community. But what is um, important about designing the project is we, we invited the community leaders, women, and villagers to our center in Phnom Penh in order to discuss, you know, like the project and then have their participation uh, and comments on the project. And after that, we visited um, um, their communities in order to, um, you know, like, uh, discuss questions and, and also the, uh, the story with them. And we, so we built trust with them uh, well in advance before we approached them. Um, and then, uh, you know, like, uh, we collected the story across the country um, from, from survivors. We also uh, collected uh, comments and, and, and questions from youth who uh, were born after the Khmer Rouge time because it's important to build intergenerational dialogue uh, between the uh, survivors or victims and uh, younger generation. So um, through those accounts and stories, we learn uh, many things and, and, and those kind of documentation also contributed to the tribunal, especially in terms of documentation, in addition to documents uh, provided by DCCAM, uh, we also have uh, survivor stories and accounts or testimony to the, to the tribunal. And uh, the, the project also built platform and uh, you know, like, a, um, uh, like provide some kind of educational kind of objective because you know, like for younger generation, they learn uh, what happened, and they can also questions or or ask the survivors to share more and open up for more discussion. Because many survivors, you know, like before that, they they were silent; they didn't want to talk more. They said that well, maybe my children might not be you know like uh, interested in my story. You know, like it's not that important, so they didn't want to share. But then after that. Uh, it opened up for more discussion and and then uh, more and more story reveal. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you you were the, uh, um, the team leader at the uh, DC Cam or the Documentation Center of uh, um, Cambodia um, on the oral history uh, project. Um, uh, but more personally, um, the you were born before the uh, Khmer Rouge came to power or after. So I was born uh, one year after the Khmer Rouge came, the Khmer Rouge collapsed. Um, so I was born in 1980, and uh, so my mother uh, most mainly shared the story, her story, and other story with me. That's why that encouraged me to work more on yeah. um, on, on on this topic because I major my 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 bachelor is in accounting. But then I switched my interest to research uh, because of all this story and then my curiosity to know more about what happened to the community and also to the country as a whole. Yeah, um, I think that's quite a, um, a typical thing among uh, many human rights activists and, and uh, researchers of atrocity crimes. Uh, you know, like the people started out as engineers or um, the electrical um, uh, uh, engineering students or internet engineer or like doctors uh, because of their personal background uh, they are drawn towards um, you know essentially the the family um, history of atrocities so you learn about this basically through 
uh, what we would you would call an oral history within the family. Uh, your parents, um, I believe, um, uh, the, where uh, they are survivors of the Khmer Rouge, right? Your mother, for instance, she must have been, um, uh, you know, late teen or even in her twenties when Khmer Rouge was in power. Can you tell us? Um, about your family background and um, you know the, the, what they witnessed or how they survived and what they um, you know what they share with you, which trigger your interest and passion to pursue what you have been pursuing for the last 10, 15 years. So my family story makes up uh, uh, one of the many story, um, especially uh, the Chan people, and my mom, uh, you know, like. She told me, uh, she shared her story with me when I was very young. And at that time, you know, like uh, I was very uh, frightened to hear about Khmer Rouge. But then at the same time, it, uh, it, I, I was very interested in, you know, like why they kill people? Uh, why they, you know, like treated the community like that? Why they, uh, you know, like uh, uh, style people to death? And, at that time, you know, I was, uh, I, I, I had food to eat, uh, but then compared to uh, those people who lived during the time, why they suffered. So uh, all of these kind of uh, curious questions that trigger my, my interest, especially when I, uh, in my year four at the university, you know, like I no longer, you know, like wanted to major in, in the accounting, uh, but then wanted to do more research on, on this topic. And also I was drawn into the center's uh, magazine, Searching for the Truth, uh, which record and, 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 and provides lots and lots of information about uh, survivors, about uh, legal, about debate uh, on, on this arbitrage topic, and especially about family uh, tracing section that um, uh, uh, give life into uh, missing family members uh, during that time and they wanted to do to, to search for, more, for their missing family members and that's why you know like it comes from personal uh our my personal experience my family experience uh that build my interest and uh i so into this kind of research it was difficult you know like uh, to conduct such topic because it's hard for me, especially for younger generation uh, like me. But then, uh, because my mom also went through this hardship, um, uh, she was uh, forced to eat pork, she was forced to carry um, heavy work, uh, hard labor, and then um, she also got married during the time where she met my, my dad. Um, but then the marriage was arranged like very different from a traditional one. And all of this, you know, like kind of turn things upside down. And that's why, you know, like I got into that and uh, stay with the topic up, up until then, up, up until now, you know, like about almost 15 years and still uh, build my interest into this topic and want to learn more about comparative genocide or mass atrocity in, in, in other neighboring countries and, and around the world. Yeah. Um, you know, the genocide route, ruling came, um, I suppose, to almost 40 years after what your mother and Cham people, as well as the, uh, you know, the mainstream Buddhist Khmer population suffered. 
what type of um, uh, reaction or reception that the um, you know the Khmer Rouge tribunal's ruling of genocide uh, had uh, met among the Cham community? So again, you know, because people, survivors mainly want to hear the truth, especially from the Khmer Rouge leader um, who committed the crimes themselves. Did they commit well, like Nonche and uh, like, uh, Q Sampong? Did they admit guilt, uh, remorse? Yes, so so Nonche and Q Sampong, they of course they provided testimony they they, they talk a lot i mean lengthy uh, about what happened and about the policy but then they hardly admitted their guilt you know like at the end they still you know like blame other country not because of their own policy but more um, because of the other that forced them to kind of design and then treated people like that so still people you know like you know, like they they were upset with uh, um, with with their testimony, especially on why they did not admit their guilt. But at least uh, the whole proceeding from day one up until now, so people learn about what happened from the, the accused now convicted uh, the Nunti and Kisimpon, even though Nunti passed away from other testimony, um, witnesses, um, and also other evidence like documentation. So people now learn uh, and they, they, they at least, you know, like the ruling contribute to healing and building a closer for uh, survivors. Right. And also, uh, you know, like why avenue for various topic, uh, various research topic and education for younger generation researchers and scholars on the topic. And also, you know, like, uh, you know, like, it also contribute to at least inform about our own uh, uh, domestic, domestic court. Uh, like, you know, like we learned something like, uh, because this court is a hybrid court and then uh, more like international standard, and people also deal discussion around how to, uh, you know, like not to not to copy, but then to learn from uh, from this court. So it also inform how we can um, kind of reform our own domestic uh, court. So the the um, you know the the most receptive um, uh, segment of Cham community are people like your mother um, and her generation or older ones who suffered uh, at the hands of Khmer Rouge. Yeah, they, they felt uh, uh, tr uh, they have been vindicated, uh, truth has been established, and it, it, what, if, I'm, uh, if I'm correct in um, you know, uh, uh, understanding you, uh, you were saying that that contributed to uh, the healing process that uh, was so needed by the community that suffer. Uh, the younger generation, um, uh, because, you know, including yourself, uh, you did not have a first-hand experience. Uh, so it, it was more uh, one step removed, uh, you know, because you learned this through 
uh, oral, um, uh, you know, family oral histories. But um, the, the younger generation still welcomes the, um, the genocide ruling and also uh, benefited from this um, uh, legal proceedings. Uh, am I correct in um, um, interpreting what you're saying? So for younger generation, they were also able to attend the, uh, the court hearing um, because this court is very special uh, if you compare with other international hybrid court around the world because uh, it uh, provides um, uh, opportunities for um, survivors, for visitors you know, like to attend at the hearing and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, including survivors and younger generation, uh, were uh, able uh, to attend the hearing. So that's why through all this process, um, seeing the court in uh, the ruling, uh, the uh, hearing in process, and also uh, learning from other uh, material presentation outside the courtroom, also have uh, younger generation to learn more, even though they were they did not live through the period, but uh, hearing story from their parents, hearing testimony at the court, uh, and then pieces all this information together, so it benefit a lot. Uh, and they we also conducted um, um, we also collected um, reaction from younger generation about the court and about the um, verdict. And many of them, uh, you know, like said that they uh, they satisfy uh, with the uh, process, with the proceeding, uh, mostly, and they learn a lot uh, from this process. And that's why, you know, like it contributed uh, to benefit the um, younger generation. Um, and then uh, many of them, you know, like conduct more research in order to understand beyond the courtroom. Right. Um, you know, post Kamar Ruse. Um, you know, the, the, at, you know, when you were growing up, uh, do you experience or have you experienced any type of, um, uh, you know, blatant uh, discrimination um, uh, as a Muslim woman uh, living in a predominantly, uh, you know, essentially a patriarchal uh, Buddhist uh, society? You know, uh, the, you know, the Kamarush gone, uh, the new, you know, Honsan uh, government came to power. And, but the, the, has the society changed, you know, um, the, in terms of, um, you know, inter-religious group or inter-ethnic um, group relations? Has, has the, um, in other words, uh, do you feel that Cambodian society has um, uh, become more enlightened and more compassionate and more empathetic as a result of the atrocities that um, your previous generations suffered. So um, before the Khmer Rouge period, again, you know, like uh, Jam and Nam Jam, and uh, especially Jam of, in the Buddhist community in this country, um, live peacefully. Uh, they coexist peacefully uh, with um, other, uh, especially other groups. And except during the Khmer Rouge time, and now even like, uh, I would not say discrimination does not exist because it exists everywhere, uh, racism, discrimination, 
but uh, the question is whether um, the minority group suffers smaller or greater discrimination or persecution, or whether discrimination goes into the policy. So for this country, fortunately, um, I would say because of the genocide experience, because everybody suffered and they have, they have a story to share. So they share survivor's identity. Uh, so the main uh, things that they need to do is to avoid it, right? So in order to avoid, they learn from how the Khmer were treated. So of course, discrimination, persecution is one thing because of the genocide experience and so, uh, survivor's identity. And second, because, you know, like, um, what they say, they, 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 they still embrace what we call peaceful coexistence. Um, how to avoid, you know, like, all this discrimination um, and also to have mutual understanding. And then the second one, mainly, you know, because of the policy, again, because all of this, um, whenever there is conflict, um, personally, specific conflicts, it doesn't go to the state policy. So usually the state or uh, you know, like and the community try to address it peacefully and then um, you know like uh, having different um, backgrounds of people like from the community representation from this community representation. And one of the example is we have uh, this kind of different background at the Ministry of Cult and Religion. So whenever anything that maybe um, you know, like, uh, you know, like associated with religion or with the community, so they try to address it peacefully. That's why all of these elements, I would say, contribute to uh, peaceful coexistence and try to reduce, you know, like any kind of discriminatory, you know, like uh, behavior. Uh, at the personal level and maybe at the community level, if it exists. Uh, that's why it, and then the other thing is the, the, the state doesn't see the community as a threat, but they see the community uh, as, or the people as the country fellow countrymen in order to contribute to rebuilding the country after the genocide. So, um, the, the, you know, if you look at, say, um, post-genocide, um, um, uh, uh, post-World War II Germany, uh, particularly, um, you know, the, uh, uh, West Germany, um, there was a process called denazification. Yeah? And uh, so in, in, you know, in, in the uh, post-genocide of Germany, uh, the, there seems to be a, a decisive um, shift towards, uh, you know, um, essentially non-aggression, uh, more uh, peaceful relations, um, you know, uh, the, uh, the, in Germany, you know, despite the fact that the, some of the, um, you know, very violent um, racist or right-wing uh, groups may be like, you know, uh, coming back uh, after 75 years since uh, the Holocaust. But um, uh, would you say, um, the Cambodian society as a whole uh, is much more uh, peaceful and more orientated towards a non-aggression, non-confrontation. 
um, the, you know, as a whole. You know, compare with, say, another Buddhist society, uh, you know, next door to Cambodia, like Thailand, or Burma, or Myanmar, my own country, uh, that uh, is now facing the genocide case at the ICJ. You know, these are, we're looking at uh, three predominantly uh, Buddhist societies. Yeah. And um, the Khmer Rouge uh, the, had destroyed that, um, you know, uh, the pre uh, previous Buddhist society and rebuilt, uh, you know, the, uh, the society from essentially, uh, you know, ground zero, right? Um, so do you notice the differences across Southeast Asia's Buddhist societies? like Myanmar and Thailand, um, and your own country of Cambodia? Well, uh, you know, like, because of different contexts and, 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 and different uh, backgrounds, so, you know, like, uh, we, we learn uh, from, that's why, you know, like, for Cambodia, it won't stop there. Uh, even though you see that, you know, you have the court and uh, it, almost now facing out um, and you also have many efforts you know like so far up to 1979 and up until now in order to prevent genocide from recurrence uh, in other words you know like uh, they want to make sure that uh, their children won't suffer like themselves uh, so they try to avoid that but it's also important to see how the country deal with the past. And also when dealing with the past, you also need to, need to deal with the present and, and, and also look into the future. So that's why you know, like uh, for Cambodia, especially for um, Muslim community, when they try to deal with the past, they also try to look into what we call uh, the Muslim world in order to strengthen the identity, uh, not to be uh, like what happened in during the Khmerish time. So that's why when they try to strengthen the community, at least, you know, like people might want, might see that, you know, like especially when they try to connect with Malaysia or the yeah, Arabic countries. And as you see from other news that Sometimes there were some accusations of Jam having relationship or uh, join, you know, like the jihadist groups, things like that. So at least uh, all this has some have some impact on 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 what we call rebuilding the community. So that's why you know, like uh, we also look into other Muslim or other neighboring country, mainly the uh, predominantly Buddhist country. But what is the, what I can say or I can differentiate is again in Cambodia, uh, many Muslims, the same as Buddhists, uh, are kind of we didn't have a hardliner because, again, you know, people try to learn from the past experience and try to avoid it, and then also the government suffered the genocide. So that's why this experience also kind of embrace or at least contribute to uh, the, the state policy currently and to make sure that uh, people, uh, people to people um, and then the government policy won't you know, like kind of end up 
with some kind of uh, what we call uh, extremist or fundamentalist um, in order to embrace all people together. So this is what I can see. Um, again, you know, coming come back to policy, come back to experience, and come back to uh, how to avoid it from recurring. Um, do you notice any type of um, you know? I I I I totally hear you that um, you know Cambodian society, whether they're uh, Buddhist mainstream groups or society, or the uh, Muslim community, um, you embrace tolerance and um, you avoid uh, any type of extremism, religious or otherwise. But uh, there there's also been um, some. Uh, disturbing news uh, in you know in the last uh, ten years, there have been um, some um, you know politicians or groups um, trying to stoke um, you know anti-Vietnamese sentiments. Um, has uh, is this still the case that uh, Vietnamese uh, uh, you know uh, are <clears throat> targeted for? Um, you know, essentially, um, you know, racial prejudices, and also the I think uh, because of the um, uh, China's economic uh, influence in Cambodia, uh, there's also uh, you know news about uh, the um, anti uh, you know anti Chinese or China uh, you know reactions from the Cambodian society. Can you comment on um, you know potential um, the, racist uh, um, um, flashpoints or tensions? It's true that, uh, you know, like, uh, what we call um, political, uh, because usually when it has, it is associated with election time. Um, and especially, uh, you know, like, now we no longer have opposition party, uh, in, I mean, uh, theoretically, because, you know, like, even though you have uh, many individuals, you know, like, they still uh, hold on to their principle, and, but then in terms of the what we call official and uh, political party, uh, opposition party, we no longer have. And usually, uh, and right now, uh, the discrimination against the Vietnamese, especially when it end up with violent uh, confrontation or or, or uh, violation, so we no longer see that, uh, especially in the meantime. And uh, all these things usually is associated with the election time, you know, like uh, whenever, you know, like uh, before and, 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 and during the election, because uh, usually political party use this kind of rhetoric in order to gain vote, and that's why I um, mentioned a bit earlier that um, discrimination, violence, or, or racism exists everywhere, but at just a smaller and greater level uh, that that uh, impact or affect uh, minority groups. Uh, so it's important that uh, you know, like we learn not only about the past, we we, we need to learn about how when they people try to to deal with the past. And at the same time, you know, like present issues, uh, you know, like coming into play and then forward looking into the future. So all of this is very important, uh, what we call, in order to build ourselves toward reconciliation, gender reconciliation, 
So um, again, we need to continue to embrace tolerance and mutual understanding, but at the same time also learn about you know, like our neighboring country, learn about other country in order for us to learn various things, not just what particularly happened in our own country, so that uh, we can try to build uh, a more peaceful uh, society. Yeah, uh, my um, um, you know final um, uh, uh, question would be, you know, as a as a scholar of genocide, um, as well as as a um, you know um, the Muslim Cham Muslim woman, um, what do you have? Uh, what do you want to say to if you have anything to um, say a Rohingya Muslim woman that have suffered so much? Um, you know, like mass rape and a genocidal purge at the hands of the Burmese military, as well as the uh, local extremist groups. Uh, uh, would you care to, uh, to share your thoughts uh, specifically with them? Um, so um, one of the findings in my research is also about gender-based violence, because uh, you know, during wartime, um, um, when talking about gender, gender so include both men and women, men also suffered, but then um, um, women is the major, make up the majority. Um, so in, 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 in Cambodia, especially during the Khmer Rouge genocide, um, many uh, Jam and, and also uh, Khmer and, and other minority group uh, who, are, who were women, uh, you know, like they, were, they suffered rape but also suffered from uh, forced marriage. So forced marriage uh, was convicted by the Khmer Rouge uh, Tribunal um, because many people, especially women, were forced to marry um, unwanted um, husband or wife or, or men, and they were forced to consummate. And so uh, this account, you know, like uh, also help us understand um, you know, like other contexts, especially like in, in, in Burma and, and Myanmar, and as a, one of the story that you share with us about a woman, a story who suffered the rape and and, and, mass, and, and violent, gender-based violence. So, uh, you know, like, so this has to go to the court. I mean, we cannot say, you know, like, usually if you learn from the ECC, so at first this, this did not come into place at first because the Khmer Rouge uh, tribunal charged uh, the Khmer Rouge leader um, of genocide, crimes against humanity, or war crime, but not uh, forced marriage or rape at the first place. Only after many uh, kind of uh, voices from uh, civil societies and also from survivors that kind of you know like uh, push uh, the tribunal to to convict or to charge uh, or to uh, indict marriage leaders of um, gender-based violence, especially forced marriage and rape. So, but then it is important for others to learn from this uh, lesson that we need to take this into serious account. Not to just say, okay, let, let's put it at the end, you know, like what happened here, but let's do it first, you know, like, because it's about gender, it's about violence, and then it can shape 
our current and future uh, uh, view about this issue because it still has a long impact on both uh, women themselves, their community, and the country as a whole. Yeah. Um, you know, the um, Khmer Rouge Tribunal tried uh, only a handful of um, uh, top leaders, uh, but there are so many um, that um, participated in the genocide. Uh, you know, they will be in their uh, you know, uh, 60s or 70s now. Um, so what is it like uh, to live in a society where you know thousands of, uh, you know, uh, you know, men and or particularly like uh, the ex Khmer Rouge, um, you know, uh, 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 essentially um, uh, perpetrators, you know, they, they, they resume their normal lives and uh, you all live uh, among or with them. Yeah. What does it feel like um, uh, <clears throat> having to reconcile with those that do not face justice at all? Uh, because uh, we're only looking at um, essentially less than um, you know uh, you know six or seven top leaders that face um, this uh, justice process, and only three. Um, have been convicted uh, out of like thousands and thousands of perpetrators. So what does it feel like, um, uh, you know, having to accept a reconciliation in order for the society to move forward, personally? So one of the limitations uh, of the tribunal of the ACCC is the uh, limitation of the uh, the accused or the the person to be prosecuted. So only a handful of the Khmer Rouge leaders and those most responsible were uh, put on trial. And while many thousands, many people, many are perpetrators, this is thousands and thousands of them live or side by side with the um, victim. So that's why this uh, one of the frustrations that um, many survivors or those attended the court share uh, while they acknowledge the success or um, the, the verdict at the tribunal. So uh, that's why um, many, uh, you know, like we have to deal with that because again, those who directed the crime or, or want to see, they want to see those who directed the crime, you know, like responsible for the crime committed. Um, that's why, you know, like people said that, you know, like uh, he's still alive and, uh, you know, like live peacefully, uh, freely. That's why, you know, like uh, this is a, a big question because the question is how would you deal with those people? How would you deal with those perpetrators? Would you put them on trial and whether the trial can accommodate um, and, and how long would it take? in order to uh, finish, you know, like all of these cases. Um, so it's important that, for example, the Documentation Center of Cambodia uh, work with um, both victim and perpetrators to be collected their account and stories of perpetrators, uh, but then we don't call them perpetrator at the first place um, because we are not um, a, a legal, uh, 
uh, uh, uh, um, uh, institution. We call them just uh, you know like formal credit cadre by their um, duty or by their um, uh, background or or, uh, or biography. So we interview them and we learn you know like we ask them about why they joined the Khmer Rouge and, and then ask them to share the story. So many of the story are, were also submitted to, to the court upon request. Um, so it's important that we, you know, like we need to humanize those people. If, if you want to find out, if you want to build a, a road to reconciliation. So it doesn't mean, so this process, it can be, you know, like it, it's all already called justice because you put them also face the history. Um, and then at some point, you know, like uh, both victim and perpetrator or, or, or these people also face each other. Um, they share the story um, and at least they reveal the truth. But then whether it is enough, it's, it's uh, sufficient um, in order to contribute to reconciliation. It, um, you know, it's a long way to go. So it can be generation to generation in order to finish this, <laughs> um, this case or this um, uh, account. So, but it's important, the main thing is to learn more, to document more um, and to work with them um, and then uh, have them share more truth so that the, the more truth revealed, uh, people uh, can find it closer. Uh, even though we cannot, we might not be able to 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 uh, put them all all of them on trial, but at least truth revealed, uh, and then uh, they can kind of join dialogue or discussion together. Yeah. Well, um, uh, thank you so much, Farina. We've come to the end of our uh, conversation, and it, it's been extremely valuable for me, and I'm sure it will be extremely valuable for the listener. And uh, a very best of luck. Uh, as you finish your PhD at UMass Lowell, and uh, so, and and thanks again, and uh, we'll um, you know we'll we'll speak again in uh, Phnom Penh hopefully. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. Bye. I'm gonna stop now. Yeah. Yes. Bye. Bye.